Boom, baby! Yes, sir! Welcome back. Another edition of our weekly podcast with the legend Slick Leonard. We were talking last week, Slick, about how you took over the Pacers as coach in their second season. And you got to the ABA Finals that very first year, and that started a run of five appearances in the championship series in seven years, the final seven years of the ABA. Let's go back to that first one, though. At what stage after taking over did you think you had a championship contending team? Well, uh, as I look back, Mark, uh, I think that that final night uh, in the in the win over Kentucky, prior to the playoffs, prior to the playoffs, uh, you know, the, no, we were in the playoffs. We were down three-one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. We were down three-one. And, uh, you know, that, that, you and I have been, uh, in our years together broadcasting, uh, we, we've often said, you know, if you get down 3-1 this series, you're, you're pretty much in a world of hurt. And uh, we were. We were in a world of hurt. But you know what? We battled. We stuck in there in every one of those games. And all of a sudden, that series was tied up 3-3. How did you get to the point where when you took over, they were losing regularly and they struggled for a bit after that. How did you get from that point to the point where you were good enough to compete with the best? Well, I, you know, I think it was a matter of, of a, a number of things that go go into coaching. Uh, you know, we, we have talked a lot of years about talent level. And talent level is uh, so very, you know, that's the name of the game. And uh, you've got to have, the players have to have confidence in the system and they have to have confidence in themselves. And, and we, we restored those type things that you can win. You can win if you stick together. If, uh, you know, it's it's not one man or two men. It's the, it's the whole ball club. If you stick together, if you care about each other, uh, you know, there's just a number of things. Uh, Mark, the same things, the same things in coaching and that are, we find those things in life, life itself. Uh, you know, for a family to be successful, uh, you know, they have to stick together. They have to care about each other. Uh, so a lot of the same principles. Yeah, but the difference between a family and a professional sports team, among other things, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be that you don't have huge egos. You don't have guys battling for playing time. You don't have money issues. You don't have all of that within generally speaking, a family. But in a team, you do have some of those things. Did any of those things come into play with your group? Did you have to get past that? Yeah, you do. You, you have to get past that. Uh, you know, like you said, players have egos. They have egos. Uh, they want playing time. They want to be important. So you have to make them feel comfortable in the situation that you present for them. 
In other words, it's not it's not by how many minutes you play in a ball game. It's what you do in those minutes. And uh, we had we had some talent on that ball club that came to four uh, during those during those playoff years, and we built that we built that attitude to the place where we said nobody's going to beat us. Nobody's going to beat us. And you know, winning—you've been around me long enough to know that winning. Winning was the name of the game for me, and I made that the name of the game for our players. You lost that first championship series to Oakland. Uh, was Larry Brown on that team? Uh, oh, you got me on that one. Well, I remember one thing. I know, I know they had Rick Barry, and they had, but the player, the play that beat us. The play that beat us. I think we could have won that championship. Uh, and, and you're going to have to help me a little bit, Marky. Uh, uh, this was a player that changed his name. Ah, you're thinking about uh, Warren Jabali. That's it. And his his real name was Warren Armstrong. And he changed it to, to Jabali. And I will tell you, he was he was really. He was really a good player, Mark. But that particular night, uh, we're in one of those situations where I always, I always fouled rather than give them a chance to hit a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. And we were in that situation that night. And uh, I can remember we we had a call for it. We had a call for that play. It was yellow. Yellow was the was was uh, we called yellow, that meant we're going to foul. We're going to foul. you got to get to the ball right now, and you got to foul them. And, of course, they had the ball out of bounds at half court. <clears throat> the player, God bless him, was Tommy Thacker. Now, Tommy Thacker played with the, at the University of Cincinnati for an NCAA championship team had played on the Boston Celtics team that won world championships and we called yellow and Tommy got caught. He was the one. And they got the ball in way, way close to midcourt, to the midline, to the midline. And it was Jabali. And Jabali raised up a, uh, raised up a three and you know, the rest of the rest of his history. And we, you know, we fouled him. Uh, you know, they got to go to the free throw line because because we're up, uh, we're up two points. So that was it. And we won that ball game. I think we could have won. The, we could have won the uh, championship. And the next year, you did win the championship. You beat the Los Angeles Stars. What was the difference between the team that beat the Stars and the one that lost to the Oaks? I, I can't remember the the, uh, the player changes. Excuse me, Mark. <clears throat> uh, we we did not we did not at that stage of the game. That was 1970. Uh, we did not have George McGinnis then. We did not have Georgie. Uh, 
But in that series, the difference in that series was we got out, we got big time performances from a player that everybody knows about now. Well, not everybody, but they know a lot more about him now. And that was Roger Brown. Roger Brown in, in, that, in that series uh, against Los Angeles, he came up with ball games like, you know, in the 50s. He had a game in the 50s, in the high 40s. He had big shots. He was a big shot player. And by that, I mean when it when you really needed a hoop, that's the guy we went to. That's the guy we went to. And uh, so that was uh, that series. Bill Sharman, God bless him. He's passed away. Bill Sharman, I had played against. I had played against, and when I was with the Lakers, I had played against. Uh, Bill Sharman was was a starting guard with the with the Boston Celtics, and was a heck of a player. He was he was a heck of a player. As a matter of fact, Mark, I don't know. I uh, Bill Sharman was was really an outstanding baseball player. And I know that he played uh, in AAA baseball up there where you lived or where you were raised, uh, in uh, either in St. Paul or Minneapolis. I don't know which one had a team in AAA baseball. Do you recall that? It was uh, St. Paul. The Dodgers had their AAA team in St. Paul, and the Giants, who were in New York at the same time, had their AAA team in Minneapolis. So. Much like at the major league level, even at the AAA level, they were close in proximity and they were big-time rivals. And I know Willie Mays played in Minneapolis, for example. Uh, as you mentioned, Bill Sharman played in St. Paul. That was a big rivalry. Yeah, well, Bill was Bill was really, uh, you know, he was, he, he was tough for the nails. I'll tell you another story about Sharman. I saw the first game, the first game that Wilt, Chamberlain ever played against, and I'm talking a, not an exhibition game, this was a, the real show. Uh, I, I saw the first game that Will Chamberlain played against Bill Russell. Will Chamberlain against Bill Russell. And it was back in those days, uh, Madison Square Garden. On Tuesday night was doubleheader night. And you either came in and played another team or you played the nightcap. The nightcap, you played the home team at 9 o'clock, uh, the New York Knicks. Well, we were, we were going to play. The, we were there to play the uh, Knicks. So the, the opening game started at 7 o'clock was the Philadelphia Warriors against Boston Celtics. I never will forget it, that opening tap. Because, you know, we I started, you know, we, we didn't have to go in the dressing room ourselves until halftime of that first game. Nobody really knew what was going to happen with, with the Russell-Chamberlain thing. But anyway, opening tap, I don't know which one, which one tapped it. I don't know which one tapped it. But there was a scramble, scramble all around the floor there for that ball. And Bill Sharman came up with it. <laughs> and old Bill took it right to the top of the key. And I'll tell you, this guy can shoot. He raised up and took a jumper from the top of the key. 
and Chamberlain jumped up and caught it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I think everybody knew then that <laughs> there was a there was a new sheriff in town. <laughs> and that particular night, that first matchup between Russell and Chamberlain, uh, Will Will had fifty five points which was not unusual for him in those days. I played a lot of games against uh, against uh, against uh, Chamberlain where he had 50 or better. Well, that one year, Mark, he averaged, he averaged for the whole season. Can you imagine that? He averaged for the whole season over 50 a game. No, I can't imagine it. And <laughs> I remember many, many years ago hearing him slick in an interview trying to put that into perspective, and he did so, I think, brilliantly. He explained to the guy doing the interview, here's what you need to understand about me averaging 50 points a game. If I had 30 points on Monday, that meant it was an off night, and I had to score 70 on Tuesday to get to my 50 points per game. Think about that. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and you know what? It brings, it brings up something else. I don't want to veer too far off topic here, but since you brought up Wilt, this uh, last dance that ended on Sunday has kind of reinvigorated the argument as to whether or not Jordan is the best of all time. Now, you played against Wilt and Russell and Havlicek and a million great players. You played with Jerry West. Uh, you coached against some of the greats in the game. In other words, you've had some association with all of the greats that have played the game. And I understand this is not necessarily a question that has a right answer, but in your perspective, who do you think is the best player that you've seen in the NBA? The best player, you know, Mark, uh, and you and I have discussed that from time to time, but I, I never look at, I never look, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of fans and they ask me, who, who is the best player in NBA history? I never, I never do it like that. You have to take it. You have to take it by position. In other words, Will Chamberlain is not going to come in the ball game, go out on the floor and guard Michael Jordan. Not going to happen. But let's turn it around. Michael Jordan is not going to go into the low post. <laughs> and Will Chamberlain is seven three guard Will Chamberlain. So I always break it down into, you know, Mark. If I if I say to people, look, I'm going to give you. Eight guards, eight forwards, and six centers. Now I want you out of those players to put your best team together. Okay. And you'd, be, you'd be kind of interesting how it comes out. All right, so you're looking at two guards, two forwards, and a center, right? Is that how you do it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start out, and, you know, I'm going to start out if I have to pick. I have to go with Chamberlain as center, and I have to go – with Michael Jordan at one of those guard spots. Now from there, let's fill out that team. All right, a lot of good choices. Who's your a lot other, of good who, choices. Who's your other and guard? The thing, the thing that you have to be careful of there is you don't need, if you got one guy like a Chamberlain that's averaging 50, and Michael's in there all the time, averaging 35, 40, and 50. You don't need, in those other three spots, you don't need a lot of scores. you got to have guys that can really 
to the other phases of the game, which is our favorite is rebounding and defense. Yeah. So you got to fill it. You got to fill out your ball club. Now that'll get people. I get some of our our fans that listen to our broadcast. That'll get them thinking a little bit. What what is the best team that you can put together in NBA history? So uh, I'm not I'm not going to try to fill out those other uh, those other three spots. <laughs> okay, so let me let me, else let me do, but I picked the, I picked, Mark I picked the top two. Yeah, you did. So let me see if if I understand what you're saying. You're saying it, that putting together a team is not easy because of the dynamics involved, but for your money, regardless of who the other three are, Chamberlain and Jordan are there. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, Chamberlain and Jordan. Chamberlain and Jordan. Those two spots, uh, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go with with Michael, the best best guard, and I've got to go with Chamberlain, the best center. Right. And from there. Uh, I gave, I said I'm going to give you eight forwards to pick from and eight guards to pick from. Well, I've used one guard spot, so now you've got, <laughs> you've got the other guard spot and, and both forward spots. And there's, and, uh, there's any number of players that you could put in there. Oh, yeah. And, oh, you, yeah. and Slick, you mentioned a guy a few minutes ago when we were talking about that 70. ABA Championship Series, Roger Brown, and you said something that I thought was very insightful, and it was this. Everybody knows who he is now. Well, not everybody, and that's true. He is in the Hall of Fame, but he didn't go into the NBA when he should have. He and Connie Hawkins, among others, were involved in that gambling investigation, and both were not allowed to play in the NBA at that time. Roger later resurfaced and played for you in the ABA. What were your first impressions when you actually saw Roger Brown? Did you understand right away how good he was? Uh, you know, he, he was a different personality after what he'd gone through, Mark. You know, he's, he and, he and, uh, and uh, Connie were two of the greatest, they were the greatest high school players to come out of, of the city of New York, which had a ton of, of great players, but Roger going through what he had to go through and the way he was brought up in life, uh, you know, the ghetto type thing in New York. And, uh, uh, he was a little standoffish and it took me a little while. It took me a little while to really get to him where he trusted me. That happened over a period of time, I assume. Yes. It took a little. It took a little time, and what really turned the turned the game was I was a little dissatisfied with a couple of things he did, and I left him home off off a road trip. Was that and difficult? That, was that difficult for you to do? Yeah, it was. It was. I had to make a decision. You're you know, you're either going to be part of the team. Or hey, you're gonna play someplace else. And when I left him home off that road trip, that turned everything around uh, in his pro basketball career and in the relationship that he and I had. And we became. I wish I had the picture I can show the fans right now. Uh, uh, Roger and I. Uh, I was out at a, a golf outing. And, and, and Roger was 
Roger was a short time away from dying. And me, me and him were sitting on on the on the golf cart together. And I've got I've got that picture on my on my desk. Uh, and I look at it, and uh, by that by that time, uh, you know, he was older. He was older, but uh, he and I. The, the best thing I can say about Roger Brown was he was a winner. No question about it. He was a winner, and he was one of my best buddies. I remember, and this goes way back to my early years here, I remember when I first met him, Slick, through you, uh, and I could see the respect that he had for you and how close you two guys were, and so I'm really interested in that story. And I want to follow it up by asking you this. Are you saying that when you left him behind, had you come back, and over a period of however long, you hadn't seen any difference, you would have moved him? Oh yeah, yeah, I, had, I would have had to. Because, hey, one player does not make a team. And that, the way I coached and everything, I, I was building a family. And if he didn't want to be part of the family, then he's got to go to some other family. I get that. And, but beyond that, though, what kind of an impression did that make on the other players? Uh, it woke them up. <laughs> Mark, yeah, it woke them up. But, but, but they, were, they, they, they knew what I was doing. They knew what I was doing. And it pulled them closer together. And, you know, when, you, when you're going in a nine-year period of time, when you're going to... Uh, championship series uh, you know what if and I say what if because it's a distinct possibility what if we had won out of the nine year period what if we had won eight ABA championships and it was a possibility because we were we were either in the championship series or we were in, in the, the other three years we were in the conference finals so are you are you asking whether Roger and the others would have been perceived differently had you won all of those championships you did win three yeah I, we, I, no no once uh, you know we we were in you know we we lost some tough ball games in playoffs and as the as the you know, I look at that that last championship, the last championship, '73. I, you know, Mark, I, I look, we, you and I were down at Freedom Hall. You were broadcasting. I was coaching. Nineteen, well, no, '73. You weren't broadcasting. I was in uh, junior high, but you're close. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting that you are a lot younger than me. <laughs> But anyway, I wish I would have been there. I Mark, I look out on the floor now. I'm at Freedom Hall, and I'm looking out on the floor at that seventh game for the for the for the championship. And I look at the Kentucky ball club. Three players on that ball club that night are in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. 
which is as high as you can go in Hall of Fames in basketball. Louis Dampier from Southport High School. Artis Gilmore, seven and foot, two or three inch monster. And Dan Essel, one of Kentucky, the University of Kentucky's all time greats. There was their three Hall of Famers, and I go down to our ball club. And I look at Mel Daniels. I look at George McGinnis. I look at Roger Brown. I want to surprise people right here. I look at Gus Johnson. And they'll say, well, who was Gus Johnson? In my years earlier in coaching, at Chicago, I drafted Gus Johnson on the second round out of the University of Idaho. And Gus Johnson became one of the greatest defenders, defenders in NBA history. That, 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 that ability put him in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So we really had four players uh, on the floor in that seventh game. So out on the floor, there were seven players total on both ball clubs that are in the Hall of Fame. Well, we can get into that and some of the other good ABA stuff next time. Let's stop here for now. Uh, and remember, Slick, in 1973, I was in junior high, in case this ever comes up again. I want that to be perfectly clear. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, my friend. What what school? Uh, what what school? Uh, what school was it? I went to uh, well, I was in junior high, but I went to high school in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, which is directly south of Minneapolis. And so I know all of the places you talk about from when you played at the Lakers, uh, and even when you played. Uh, we haven't even talked much about that, but I remember you telling me some great stories about how. You played at Williams Arena, which is now over 100 years old, when you were at Indiana playing Minnesota. And I've been in there a dozen or 15 or 2,000 times. Yeah, great place. Great great place to play. You have to climb out of the basement to get up on the basketball floor. Yeah, it's an elevated <laughs> floor. It's a, it's a really cool place. Yeah, uh, great. We'll get into some more stuff next time, my friend. Tell Nancy we said hey and stay safe. Okay, babe. Take care of yourself. All right, Slick, thanks. Bye. More stuff next week. We'll get into the, well, who knows what we'll get into. It seems as though we always start somewhere and end somewhere else. It's always a good conversation with the Hall of Famer. We thank you for spending time with us. For all who contributed, including our producer, Pat Boylan, I'm Mark Coyle. Thank you. Stay well.